Good morning, church. All right, that was about halfway there. Let's try again. Good morning, church. That's better. That's better. Make sure we're all awake. Uh, If you have a cell phone or some other type of device that makes noise, uh, please just turn that off or put it on vibrate or something like that so we can be distraction-free for the next 45 minutes or so. Welcome. Glad you all could uh, hopefully uh, fight the fight to get here. Did anybody have a struggle getting out the door this morning? It's inevitable, especially if you have kids. Uh, It's inevitable there's a battle to get here. And that is not by accident. That is by design from uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We'll do everything that those three can. It's the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Anything to keep you away from worshiping the living God. You know Satan doesn't have to get you to worship him. He just needs you to not worship God. And then if you're not for God, then you're by design against him. So that's all he needs uh, to do is to get you against God. And it's a challenge, isn't it, sometimes? So I'm with you in that. I'm with you in that. So let's do this. Let's get Bibles into people's hands. Uh, John chapter 1 is where we'll be. So if you didn't bring a Bible or have some other device that has Bible pixels on it or some sort, then uh, put your hand up and we'll give you a hard copy of the Bible. These things are more and more rare these days. Uh, They'll come around. Hands up nice and high. John chapter 1 is where we are. Let's pray and we'll get into the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Father, here we are once again. Lord, we've, we've fought the battle this morning against all of the other things that our flesh wants to do sometimes, uh, against all of the, uh, the hurdles that the devil wants to put in our way, all of the doubts, Lord, that arise in our minds about coming and gathering with the body of Christ in this place. Father, we've fought against the world and, and the, the cares and affairs of the world that we could eke out just one more chore or one more project at home and, and, and utilize just this last few minutes of our weekend uh, before we go back to work tomorrow. But Father, we have chosen to be here trusting that worshiping you is the most valuable thing we could do with this hour and a half on a Sunday morning. We know that, uh, that life is in you, Lord. And that all of the things of this world are passing away. Everything here that's, that's originated here is temporary. And Lord, we trust the things that are connected to you are eternal and meaningful in a way that we will not and cannot understand until we pass from time into eternity. And we trust, Lord, that then, when we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, that everything will be clear and all will have been worth it. Father, take this next time and open our ears so that we can hear what your voice is saying to the church today through your spirit, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. John chapter 1, we're plugging our way through. A fantastic gospel, not one of the synoptic gospels, a little bit different in its Nature, written by the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love. And the question I have for us this morning, just a personal question for you, uh, we'll pick up, by the way, in the 35th verse of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, Are you a pioneer? Are are you one that's like, when when something's going on and it's, it's like a fresh thing or no one else has done it, are you willing to be first? 
How many of you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm a risk taker. I'm willing to be daring. I'm willing to be first. But maybe others of you uh, are ones that say, well, I'll let them go first and I'll sit back and I'll watch and I'll wait and I'll see how it goes for them. Some of you maybe fall into each category. Maybe some of you don't want to say. Uh, no doubt there's, there's all of those. Not, one is not more right than the other. Just a personality thing, isn't it? Some people are just risk takers. Man, they're, they're, if they hear about it, they're willing to give it a shot, give it a try. And other people, they want to watch and see what happens. Well, did you ever think about the fact that someone had to be first to follow Christ? There had to be someone that made that first decision. You know what? We hear about that. We hear this preaching from John the Baptist, and we, we see what he's saying about this guy, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And you know what? I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm willing to, to follow him. I believe that it's right. And so in the rest of John chapter 1, what we see is the first followers of Jesus Christ. So we pick up in, in verse 35. It says, again, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, John had already said, uh, John the Baptist had already pointed at Jesus and said, you know, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was back in, in verse 29. And now he says it again. He's standing with two of, of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples. And they see Jesus walking. I mean, what was it about the way, I mean, just the way he carried himself. And can you, I can just picture them, there they are in the, in the wilderness there, in, in, the, in the desert area by the Jordan River, and just looking at him interact with people. Just looking at Jesus and the way he carried himself. And John just looks at him, and I just imagine him shaking his head and going, man, look at that. Would you, behold, the Lamb of God. There he is. You know, as we were traveling through these back rural roads in Virginia on our bicycles, we went through a lot of um, Civil War uh, areas, um, battlefields and whatnot, and it's, you sit and you read the signs and look at the pictures and, and you try to picture, you know, there's just an, a big field with some fencing in it and, and an old chimney, and you try to picture men, like, in, in battle there, cannons and bayonets and blood, and, and it's just, it's hard to picture it because we're not there, but it's, it's hard to look back. And, and so for us with Jesus, sometimes it's hard to picture, like, what it would have been like or what, how it must have seemed and but these disciples were there firsthand. John could point right to Jesus Christ himself in the flesh and say, there he is. So just because I can't imagine the battle on the battlefield doesn't mean it never took place. Somebody was there. A bunch of somebodies were there. And they lived it. And now looking back, we try to imagine it. These folks were living it at the time. And they said, and, and John says, behold, as he walked, there he is, the Lamb of God. So verse 37 says, the two disciples uh, heard him speak. Heard who speak? Heard John speak. And they followed Jesus. So they're hearing, they, they started following Jesus. Why? Because of preaching. That's why a lot of people start following Jesus. Because they heard somebody preach. And it wasn't, John certainly wasn't gathering up disciples for himself, was he? John was clear. I love I love John the Baptist because he preached with power and he was humble. He preached with power and he was humble. And that's a, that's a hard combination sometimes when people start hearing a, a man preach with power, the tendency is to follow that man. But John was always very good at, at deferring the, the glory, deferring the attention from himself to Jesus. So because of his preaching, 
they follow Jesus. Because of your works, people shouldn't want to follow you or shouldn't want to uh, honor you. Because of your works, you sh- your works, the things you do should be done in such a way that it, it's, it, it downplays you and emphasizes Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist did. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So Jesus turned and seeing them following, it's like they were stalking him or something, you know, walking behind him. So he turns and he sees them following and he said to them, what do you seek? I love it when Jesus asks a question because they're so penetrating. Simple words, what do you seek? And it's but yet deeply profound and I'll ask you the same question this morning. What do you see? When you heard about Jesus, when you heard the preaching about Jesus, what was it that you were looking for? Were you looking just to please your parents? Were you looking just to fix this area of your life? Did you need a job? Or were you looking for something different? What was it that you were seeking? What was it that I was seeking? You know, for me, it was just this, this desperate sense of needing a connection with God that was being inhibited by my sinfulness. You know, it wasn't preaching that got me. It was, I'm more like uh, Philip in this passage. We'll get to him later on. But what is it that you're seeking even now? Are you seeking to communion with the living God? Are you seeking forgiveness of sins? Are you seeking eternal life or, or, and, and abundant life now? Or is there some other motivation? Is there some other are you seeking to be liked? Are you seeking to be accepted? All the, and I don't know the answer to those questions, but that's what Jesus asked. What do you seek? What is it, why are you following me? What is it that you want? And they don't really answer the question directly. Look what they say. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? Well, that doesn't really answer the question of what you're seeking, not directly at least, but the idea is, you know, Jesus, we know that Jesus had no earthly home don't we? He had no place. He, he's not a homeowner. He, he was a, a homeless, really, you could say. Even the animals, the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Why? Because this earth was not his home. He never settled down here in that way. He always knew he was just passing through. He, was, he came from his father. He was going to go back. And if you've been born uh, of God, guess where? You, this isn't your home. Heaven is your home. So we're just passing through. So they said, well, where are you staying? You know, we, we want to maybe come and learn from you, come and listen. Now, does Jesus, it's like this funny conversation. Nobody answers anybody's question, you know. Verse 39, so instead of, instead of saying, you know, well, you know, you go down three blocks to where Bob lives and you take a left and that's not what he says. Verse 39, he said to them, come and see. You want to know where I'm staying? Why don't you come and see? I like that. And here's why. Because a lot of people want to make inquiry about Jesus. They're just interested in Jesus. They'll tell me more about him. But I don't want to put any effort forth, right? I don't, I don't want to have to do anything. I just want you to tell me about him. You say, where is he? What's he all about? And instead of answering the question, Jesus says, if you want to know where I'm staying, if you're really interested, then I want you to exert a little bit of effort to come and follow me. See, we think, you know, because of grace and because we understand we're saved by grace, we think that human effort is completely uh, out of the equation altogether. You know, but we know the Bible says faith without works is dead. So yes, in terms of our salvation, there's nothing we can contribute to that. But when we're interested, you know, for me it was like I, I knew 
what was missing in my life. I knew where I was in my life. And I said, I'm, I'm going back to church. Because I don't know much about church. I don't know much about this Christian thing. I just knew that I needed God. And I knew the only place that I, I, that I knew I could find him was church. So I had to go. And I had to put forth some effort. I had, I had investigated Buddhism. And I had read, read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And I read all these books and things on spiritual, spiritism and spiritual things. None of it really made any sense or, or gave me any peace. And so I was on a journey, a, a search, just like many of you have been or are. And so sometimes there's things that you just can't explain to somebody, aren't there? Where are you staying? Just come and see. And I love that. Jesus says, you know, just come. Just come and see where I'm staying. Come follow me. So they came, and they saw where he was staying. They could have said, ah, we really, it doesn't fit into my schedule. I don't really have time. But they were, they were committed to finding out more. So they came, they saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour, which is 4 p.m. So probably these two disciples, we haven't named them yet, probably, it's not, he's not listed in here because he likes to stay a little bit hidden, probably one of these first two that followed was uh, the Apostle John who wrote this gospel. The other one we'll find out uh, is uh, Andrew. We'll get to that in a second. So they decide to go. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. They stay with him all night. What a Bible study that must have been. Where they just go and they get to sit with Jesus in person and ask him questions and listen to him talk and hear how he speaks. And they just spent the time with him. So one of the two who heard John speak, one of the two of the disciples of John, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Any of you defined by someone else in your family? Because like, we don't know a whole lot about Andrew. I mean, he's not like a primary player. Peter, James, John, you know, these are the guys we, we think about a lot when we think of the disciples. Andrew, not so much. See, when I first met Helga, you know, it's like she had this identity. She's Helga, you know, it's like you don't need a last name, you're just Helga. And so I was always Helga's husband, especially going back to, uh, to Long Island where she grew up. Oh, you're Helga's husband. So I was like, that's my dad. I understand Andrew. Oh, you're Simon Peter's brother. Yeah, that's me. I understand that. So he, he, this is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And Messiah would be the, uh, related to the Hebrew word for um, Mashiach, which is uh, Savior, Messiah. And then Christ is the Greek version of that. And, and verse 42 says, and he brought him to Jesus so whatever Andrew heard as he followed, went to stay with Jesus that night, it was impacting him. And it was so impacted him that the first person he went to tell was his brother, Simon, who becomes one of the foremost apostles. And I, I like this on a number of reasons because it just says he brought him to Jesus. And I wonder, how many people have you brought to Jesus? There's a lot of people I've brought that didn't stay. I bring them to, I say, just come and see, and they go, eh, no thanks. I expect that. And that can be frustrating, can it? I mean, we've all dealt with that. We've tried to bring people to Jesus, and, and they don't want him. But that doesn't discourage me, because I know that there are some are, and maybe that one, like a brother, or a sister, or a mother, or a father, maybe there's one that gets it, that's saved. And so, how many people have you invited to, see, to Jesus, not just to church, but have, have, you wit, have you been a witness? Have, you know, when David is writing the Psalms, he's writing about the joy 
of having your sins forgiven, the joy of salvation. And he's begging with his readers, and he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's coming from, the, from his heart. He believes that. He's not just trying to, well, I have to evangelize because the church tells me I have to evangelize. I have to spread the word because the church tells me I have to spread the word. You know, we're not like, it's not part of, in our covenants that to be saved, you have to do this, 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 and, and you have to tell people about Jesus. No, that's for free. And you're good evangelists. I know many of you. I've, you're good evangelists. You watch a TV show. You like it. You tell people, don't you? You've you got to watch this TV show. It's great. It's so funny. I laugh for hours. Or you've got to see this movie. Or you've got to listen to this music. Or, or you've you got to read this book. And we're good at telling people about what we find and have found meaningful in our own lives, aren't we? We're great evangelists. And so that's what would make me worry if you've never told anybody about Jesus. And you've never said to somebody, you've got to come and see. You've got to come and see. Because then the question is, has he really meant something to you personally? Because what means something to you personally, you will tell people about. And so the answer to that is just, hey, keep, un- keep growing in your understanding of what Jesus has done for you. And you're growing in your humility. And then once you see that, you're just blown away by what Christ has done. I can't tell. I look at my family. I look at this church. I look at my life. And I say, God, you're so good to me. You've been so good. And I want other people. To, we don't evangelize because I get paid by how many seats are filled. But because I want other people to experience what I've experienced in Christ. Don't you? I mean, if he's, has he been good to you, church? Has he gotten you through some tough times? Has he been by your side no matter what? Man, he has. And we've been through some tough st- times. And so Andrew, he hears, he, he, he's moved, and he, br- he brings his brother to Jesus. Are any of you praying for family members? Some of you would love to, and you've tried? I think about the paralytic that the four friends knew. This was the only hope that they heard about Jesus. He was teaching in this little house, and they, they bring him on his bed, this guy on his He can't walk. He can't get there, so they literally have to bring him to Jesus. And some, you might have to take that person, just drag him, you know, get him by the ears and come on, we're going to church Sunday. You know, listen, this is great. When your relatives come, listen, you get visitors. Your relatives come. And here's what I don't understand. For some reason, Sunday morning comes around, and you say, well, let's not go to church. Let's just stay home, and we'll have breakfast together. Now, when my relatives come on Sunday morning, look, family, we're going to church. That's what we do on Sunday morning. That's who we are. Then that's what it means to bring your relatives to Jesus. And look, hey, if they want to stay home by themselves, that's up to them. But as for me and my house, we're going to go worship the Lord. This is the Lord's day. And, then, and when I go visit family on, on vacations and things, if it's Wednesday night and I'm there in the middle of the week, because usually I'm here on Sunday, but if we're visiting through the week and it's Wednesday night, guess what? We're going to Bible study somewhere. Where? I don't know. I get the phone book out. I start looking for churches. And I just pick one and I go to it. And if they want to come, great. If not, that's fine. But I'm setting an example of the things that are important in my life. Because if your family comes and you say, well, let's all stay, that what you say to them is Jesus is really not that important, that you're more important than than God. And that shouldn't be, should it, church? No. Okay, so he brings him to Jesus, just like the paralytic friends, uh, the friends of the paralytic bring him uh, to Jesus so he can be healed. Now, when Jesus looked at him, this is Peter, He said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. That's what the word, the name Cephas means, or Peter, it means a stone. 
And so just by the nature of Jesus, he already knew this man, even before he came to him. And by the virtue of him saying, your name is officially changed, changed his whole life. Peter would become one of the foremost apostles that would be used to preach at Pentecost, and, and the church would be founded on Christ as the cornerstone and the apostles and the prophets as foundation stones. And so Peter says, you're going uh, to be a prime mover in the church. And so he changes his name. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So this is a little different. This time, instead of preaching, this is Jesus found him directly. Jesus said, hey, Philip, I want you to come follow me. That was the story of my life. I wasn't in a church. There was no altar call. There was no choir. There was no mood lighting, nothing. I was in a parking lot in Charlottesville when I got saved, and Jesus came to me, and he said, Steve, I want you to follow me. And I had no idea what that meant at the time. I'm still learning what that means. Still surprises me every day. So this is Philip uh, that is found by Jesus. says, follow him. And Philip follows him. Verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. They were all sort of from the same village area. And what did Philip do? He found Nathaniel. And he told two friends and so on and so on. Maybe you remember that commercial. Maybe you don't. I'm dating myself. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Hey, Nathanael must have known something about his Bible because that's the way uh, Philip approaches him and says, Nathanael, all that Bible reading you do, all that investigating you've done into God's word, we have found the one in whom it is all fulfilled. Everything in Moses. This is what Jesus says to the disciples on the, on the Emmaus Road after his, his resurrection. He says, what, what are you guys doing? You know, well, we, we thought that this guy Jesus was something, but they crucified him, they killed him, and now so we're, we're going home. And, and the Bible says Jesus taught them from beginning in, in Moses and all through the prophets all the things concerning himself. The whole Bible, listen carefully, the whole Bible all culminates and and. and is brought to its fulfillment in Christ, in Jesus. And so he says to him, we found him. We found the one that everybody's been looking for. We found the Messiah, the Savior. He's from Nazareth. He's Jesus of Nazareth, and he's the son of Joseph, which, of course, that's humanly speaking, uh, not uh, divinely speaking, of course. So what is Nathaniel's reaction to this? Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, I love this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, imagine waiting for God's Savior to come and then finding out he's from Fluvanna. You know, it's like, well, where? I can't even spell Fluvanna. You know, you travel somewhere and the people go, don't you hate the question? Where are you from? Well, Fluvanna. Fluvanna? Flavenna. How do you say that? How do you spell that? It's like hard to spell, isn't it? Being from Fluvanna. But evidently, Nazareth did not have a very good reputation. Now, if you were God and you were sending your son or you were coming in human flesh, to the earth, where would you come to? Naturally, Jerusalem, the center of the universe. You know, Jerusalem is where you'd come to. The center of all the religious activity, that's what they would think. You know, the Messiah certainly is going to come, from, you know, would be a place like that. Or, or, now, he was born in Bethlehem, but he was living in Nazareth. And Nazareth was like, you know, not, not a, a great reputable uh, town. And so Nathaniel's reaction tells, tells the story, What? The Messiah? Now, come on, you, you can't be serious. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. 
I mean, that's ridiculous. Why would the Messiah come out of there? And look again, what a great response. Philip doesn't say, well, let me give you my six theological points as to why the, the Messiah should come out of Nazareth. What does he say? He just says the same thing again. Come and see. Just go, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to play games with you. I'm not going to try to reason this to you. I'm certain, and you've just got to come and see for yourself. Look, you've got to come and, and get the information yourself. And then you decide if it's true or not. You see if I'm crazy or not. And that's, think of, just remember, as you're talking to people, and you tell them, oh, I'm part of this church, we meet in a high school, and how can a church meet, how can anything good happen at the, at the middle school, you know, in a gymnasium? Come and see. Just come and see. I love those words. Don't you? I, mean, I just tell people, oh, let's come and see. Come check, check it out one time, you know? Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? That's fantastic. See, just as Nathanael was, was coming to Jesus, Jesus says, Ah, he talks about his character. Now, they're just meeting for the first time. How could Jesus have known Nathanael's character? And it blows Nathanael away. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He wasn't anywhere near there. Was he spying on Nathanael? I mean, what was going on? Jesus is God, and, and Nathaniel gets that. He's omnipresent, he's omniscient, and he's, we were traveling again on, on our, on our bikes, bicycle journey, and we're with this guy from Advancing Native Missions named Kishore, and he was born in India, and uh, it, it got an interesting life story. He was born into a Dalit caste, a, an untouchable caste, and I was talking to him as, I'm, as we're traveling and spending time together, we were talking about these verses. And he said, you know, that verse means a lot to me. Because at age nine, his uh, father was going to sacrifice him as a human sacrifice to the goddess Kali. In Hinduism, there's mi millions of gods and goddesses. And the goddess Kali is sac satisfied by human sacrifice. And so she has multiple hands and hands have skulls in them. And Hinduism is very dark. Don't be fooled by the beautification of it in thought by Americans uh, that haven't experienced it. It's very dark. And so he was going to be sacrificed. And he said to me, you know, I, I know that when I was going to be sacrificed, and his mother saved him. He said, Jesus knew that. Jesus saw me there before um, I was sacrificed. And Jesus saw me as I was running as a wild kid on the streets uh, of India. Uh, we were homeless and all these things. And he says, I know Jesus, and I know he had a plan for me even then. And I want to reassure some of you, because someone has said to you, come and see, and you're still trying to figure out why you grew up the way you did why those things happened in your life, what, what could be the meaning of all of that. And I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus saw you. He saw you then, and he preserved you, and he sees you right now, because someone told you, come and see. And as you've, uh, as you've approached Jesus, Jesus already knew you were coming. And he already knows what you've been through, and he already has a plan for where you're going. And he knew you back then. He knew you when there was abuses in your household, he knew you when you were struggling uh, at that time. He saw you back. That's what he says to Nathaniel. 
before Philip called you, before that friend told you, before your relative shared with you, before you heard the preaching, before someone begged you to come to church. Jesus knew. Jesus saw you. And see, Nathaniel was under the fig tree, which that can either mean literally, that, he, that was where, uh, it, was a, it was a Hebrew idiom for studying the Scriptures. So Nathaniel was probably studying his Bible. Or it could have been that he had a fig tree at his house and he was sitting under the fig tree reading his Bible. They're, they're connected. The ideas are connected. So, but none of that's important. This is what he says. He says, Nathaniel, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He, it, it blew his mind. Just like the woman at the well. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. I know, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. And, and, ah. and then she says, come and meet a man who told me everything about myself. He knows. All things are naked and open before the eyes of the Lord. This is why, you know, in the church, it's such a shame that we all put on these, these fake lives to try to fool each other. Because the Bible says, if you, if you say you're in the light and you walk in darkness, you lie. You lie to yourself. You lie to everybody else. And you try to lie to God. But you can't lie. You can lie to us. We'll buy it. We don't know. But you can't lie to God. So why not just be honest about who you are? Because he already knows. There's nothing. You can't surprise him. And the beautiful thing about our God is that he loves everybody. There's no one that comes to him that he'll say, you know what, hmm, you're, a little bit off, you're a little bit off the charts for me. You know, I can do so much, but you're, you've gone too far. Not one. There's no one that comes to Jesus who he will turn away. He will accept you right where you are. And then he will change your life forever. And he says, you're, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I mean, it, that was all it took? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now that's a real interesting, kind of obscure verse, isn't it? Now, unless you're familiar with your Old Testament, you might miss the reference here. Probably, Nathaniel was reading a portion of the Scriptures from Genesis chapter 28. He was reading about Jacob having, uh, be, uh, traveling, and, and he goes to, he kind of beds down uh, in this place, and he, and he puts his head on a rock, and he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder that, sends, that, that uh, spans between heaven and earth. And on the ladder, in the dream, he sees the angels of God going up and down on this ladder between heaven and earth. And he's just, he wakes up and he's like, whoa, you know, surely God is in this place. And he thinks, man, this is like a portal right here. I've, I'm, this is a special place where, where heaven and earth meet. And so probably Nathaniel was reading about that ladder that spanned between heaven and earth. And, and, and Jesus knew that. And so Jesus says, Nathaniel, that thing you were reading, that ladder in Genesis 28 with Jacob, that was the type of me. That was speaking of me. I am the one that is the ladder, that is the connection between heaven and earth. I am the one by which men ascend uh, from earth to heaven. No one comes to the Father, Jesus would say, but, but by me. 
And so again, we see all through the Old Testament these pictures and types and shades of Jesus uh, when we read these stories. And so this has got to just, you know, we, the, the story stops there. We don't know what happens next. You know, Nathan, probably because Nathaniel passes out and they try to revive him. Like, oh, not only did he know where I was, but he knew exactly what I was reading. Do you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? That Philip, the, this guy right here, Philip is sent, God sends him to go on this back dirt country road and this, this Ethiopian eunuch is traveling. And while he's traveling, he's reading Isaiah 53 and he has no idea what he's reading. And God knows that, so he sends Philip to explain it to him. He knows, God knows what you're looking for. He is all-knowing, he's omniscient. And if you think that there's something in your life that's just too embarrassing to tell him or too shameful, he already knows it. So we just come, right? We just come bare and open and needy and poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they'll see God. The pure in heart see God. The poor in spirit will become rich in Christ. So, fantastic stuff. Do you believe? Do you believe? I do. I'm willing to stake my whole life on it. And that's what we do. We stake our whole lives on the truth that, that these people really experienced what they say they did. And, and all of the rest of it, the resurrection and, and the crucifixion, all that stuff, and, and it matters for eternity. And I don't want this church to be like Esau, who traded away the blessing for, for some fulfillment now, some quick, simple, non-lasting fulfillment of the flesh. We're willing to give that up to inherit eternity. And, and I think that's what we're saying here, isn't it? That's what we're willing to do. So maybe Jesus, is, as, as Nick comes up and the rest of the praise team will close with a, uh, with a final song. And I don't know, maybe somebody's been spoken to this morning. As usual, I'll be up front. A couple other folks will be up front. And maybe right now, I'm just going to say to you, come and see. Come and pray. Because when you're, people are going to be baptized next week. And a lot of times, you say, well, how can I be baptized? I need to know more. I, need to, I don't know everything. Well, you're never going to know everything. When I got, how many of you knew everything about your spouse when you got married? How many of you know everything about your spouse now? How many of you understand everything about your spouse now? Right, we don't. But we make a commitment. Because we trust. And now, now Jesus is not our spouse in that way. He's perfect. Helga did not marry a perfect spouse. People change. God is always the same. And he invites you into a relationship with him. And you're not going to know everything right now. That's what faith is all about. So by faith you come and you say, I believe. I believe. And you can be saved. Amen? Amen. Amen.